Welcome to the Gate 7 International Podcast, your official English source for all things Olympiakos FC and Greek football. I am in a bad mood, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Rambro Sirmos and Costa Levoyanis. Adi is missing, more on that later. Uh, we are joined by our special guest for today, Arsenal writer and big Arsenal fan, Michael Keshani. Michael, I'm sure you're feel- feeling very good. We've just finished watching the game. How are you feeling? Uh, happy, but still quite annoyed at certain bits of our performance and the fact that it took us until sort of, what was, the 82nd minute to shape up and actually get ourselves in front again and our attempts to throw it away as well. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I understand that feeling. We'll, we'll get into the game. A couple very brief housekeeping messages. First of all, big, big congratulations to Adi. Adi is not here today, and there is a very valid reason for that. Uh, he has a young child that has been recently born, Michaelis Bulubasis, future Olympiakos midfielder, current Greek under one international on the scouting board. They're looking at him. JVS is looking at him. Young Mihadi was born healthy. He's back home. He watched the game, unfortunately for him. Um, it's a bit concerning that Olympiakos are 0-1 when Mihali is alive, but hopefully that trend will not continue. <laughs> Did you really just say that? <laughs> just fitting the loss on Mihali, like, no. like anyway. in his baby crib right now. <laughs> Look, in, in all seriousness, Adi, um, incredibly, incredibly proud of you and happy to hear that uh, the child is healthy and home safely and everything is good. And uh, we look forward to watching him grow into a wonderful young Olympiakos fan. In other words, uh, hopefully we will not, you know, lose every game uh, after Mihadi's birth because we play Larisa this weekend. That hopefully should be a win. And we will be joined after the game with Elas Footy contributor Michael Vicini. Uh, we've had him on a couple times before. Always a fun guest to join on the podcast. And uh, that will be our last game before the league splits into two. So uh, we'll talk to Michael about Ladisa's season and their hopes to potentially stay up. Additionally, we would like to say thank you to our sponsor, Piraeus International. Piraeus International has been helping Greeks ship to and from the motherland during COVID-19. Shipments to Greece are going out from Baltimore, Maryland every month. Fill any large U-Haul box, 18 by 18 by 24. Send it to our friends in Baltimore and it will be shipped to the port of Piraeus for only $50. Better yet, fill any large wardrobe box and send it for $100, and that's American, by the way. Give them a call at 410-675-4696 or send an email to sales at PiraeusINTL.com. Michael, before we get into the game, a couple quick questions for you just about uh, your background. And, you know, you've done some writing for Arsblog, Football.London, and and some other places in your time, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, you know, we just want to know, how did you get into football? Why did you choose Arsenal? And, uh, and what got you into writing as well? So, um, yeah, I, football was never, football and Arsenal were never really an option for me. Um, I, in, from North London, very close to the stadium. And it's, I, there's never been a time in my life when I've not been an Arsenal fan. Uh, so I don't think there was much, I didn't come from a massive Arsenal fan. My mom's an Arsenal fan. Dad didn't really care. But yeah, very much, very, very much something I was born with. And as for writing, and I realized probably about 10, 11, that I probably wasn't going to make it as a pro footballer. So um, at that point, I decided to combine, it with, combine football with one of the other things that I liked doing, which was writing. 
And for ages, I wanted to be a sports writer. And I started when I was 14 as a blogger, I was telling you guys before, um, and sort of built up, wrote for more and more sites and sort of picked up more of a, a I guess, a reputation. Um, and then, yeah, as, as time's gone on, I've written less. I've sort of gone into other fields in terms of my career. But as I said, still active on Twitter and, you know, enjoy talking some nonsense. So. Well, we enjoy a bit of that as well, to be fair. Um, let's get into this game right away. You know, admittedly not, you know, we're not too excited to talk about it, but it has to be discussed and uh, we'll probably go into some analytics more this weekend as well. We'll see what's uh, what's pertinent, but um, three, one Arsenal. Um, I probably would have predicted two, one, but that third goal was pretty damning. Uh, it's going to be very, very difficult, if not impossible. Michael, I know you probably don't want to claim the victory just yet in the tie, but for us, it feels pretty impossible to come and score three goals in the Emirates and uh, really tough for that reason. Um, obviously, Olympiacos were facing a lot of difficulties in this game. We had one healthy defender that played with our team three months ago. Um, when you think about it that way, like we've had so many issues with communication in the back four. And while Oleg, Socrates and Lala are all good players, uh, that made it very difficult. Our one center back who needed to play today needed to be healthy. Ushe Nuba, he was a game time decision. An hour before the game, the lineup drops and he's in it. But when the players walk out on the pitch, Ba is nowhere to be seen. Late scratch. Jan Mvila finds out probably half an hour before the game starts that he's playing center back. He is one of our best players as a midfielder. And we didn't get him in his best position today. So it's understandable that we would lose. I was just hoping maybe not by this much. The goals for Arsenal were, I'm not going to say that they were lucky to score three because they missed some chances as well. It has to be said, but the first goal, a, a good Jose saw saves it. The second goal is the same goal. We've conceded every single game. PSV scored the same goal against us. It's, it's a pattern that I'm really getting tired of. And then the third goal, it felt to me like we had given up and uh, El Neni just puts it in the back of the net. We had, we had three opportunities to score goals, to be honest. We scored one of them. El Arabi was, uh, he, he was the killer in that moment and uh, he put it in the back of the net very calmly. But Bruma and Masuras had two chances to take advantage of those Arsenal mistakes. This Arsenal team, their weakness, to me at least, is that you know, playing it out of the back that Arteta wants them to do. And we pressed accordingly, but just couldn't put those chances home. And it's frustrating, but what are you going to do now that the game is over? Michael, I guess I'll just ask for your thoughts. Obviously, the one goal that we did score, you've got to be upset with as an Arsenal fan. But, you know, what are your thoughts on the game? Are you relieved? And, uh, you know, going into the second leg, how do you feel? Uh, I'd say relief is probably the main the main thing. So, so obviously, I don't really have much of a reference point for Olympiacos because I don't watch very much of them. If I'm if I'm being honest, but obviously, saw them last year. Only actually saw the second leg. I missed the first leg, and it was one of those where we we shot ourselves in the foot. We made all the problems for ourselves, and Olympiacos was stable and sensible enough to just let us let us implode and then took advantage in the moments that we we dipped. And I figured that we'd get a similar level of team this year. And in some ways we're better, in some ways we're worse. And so 
my thoughts are very much if we're going to lose this tie, it's going to be our own fault. Which, as you saw with the chances you got, the obviously the goal that happened, the um, the one just at the end of the first half where Lurich gave it straight to one of your players. That's that's exactly what you see from this team, where you can see that there's quality, you can see that they have the ability to score goals, but they don't do it, and then they find a way to just shoot themselves in the foot, screw themselves over. So, I mean, we saw pretty much pretty much all of that, but then a set piece goal was ended up just giving them their confidence back. And by the time on then he scored that third goal, as you said, you, you sort of saw it as sort of giving up. I was surprised he could just waltz through the midfield like that. I and mean, he's not exactly our most talented midfielder. He's not usually a threat from distance. So he scored four goals for us now, I think. But yeah, it's, it's it did look like an exhausted team that didn't believe that it was going to come back or didn't want to, also didn't want to hold a tighter deficit on the evening. And so it was, it was a bit of poor game management there in that respect. But yeah, like I said, the main feeling is probably just a bit of relief because even after that first half hour, I think it was still nil-nil the half hour. But we had the we had chances, we weren't taking them, and it felt very much as if we were going to do exactly what we did against Burnley, exactly what we've done in quite a few games this year, where we dominate, we don't score, we only score one, and we let the opposition back into the game and ruin it for ourselves. So it's nice to have this, have that little bit of a cushion, and I still. I'm not, I'm not counting my chickens. I think we're going to have to turn up and be serious next week, but feeling a lot calmer after that third goal. I, I, I haven't... We can analyze the game and what happened, but um, it just disappointing, I think, maybe is the best word for, for me tonight. But I, I just want to put some perspective in this. Like, Bjorn and Via as Peter described in the first first uh, monologue, had to go on essentially last minute and go play central defense. We missed him in the central midfield today. Bruma, I thought, was, was struggling positionally, defensively, and the midfields was just wide open. And Michael touched on that real quick. Um, why was El Nene allowed to do that? Who would usually be there? Jan and Via, guys. Jan and Via would be there. And I, I, I think I'm going to turn this in into a little bit of a rant. I, I'm reading this from, it, it's it's kind of surreal. I'm reading this from English speaking Olympiacos fans, fans, Greek footballing fans, who are criticizing Olympiacos, criticizing Coach Martins. Usually it's the opposite. Usually it's the Greek fans who are irrational. And so some of these people will be listening to the show. So I'm going to say it to you, if you're saying Coach Martins is out, Olympiacos has so much dead wood on the team. I'm sorry, you're an idiot. I, I'm just going to put it out there. You're an idiot. And you don't understand this team. What is Deadwood? Jose saw until two months ago, was one of the best keepers I'd ever seen at Olympiacos. Jan Envia is fantastic. The central defenders are great. Usain Uba, Ruben Semedo, who didn't play today, are great. Oleg has been showing great things. Maybe he had an off night tonight. He was playing a top team. Yusef Al-Arabi has been the best striker we've had since Kostas Mitroglu. Matthew Valbuena has done fantastic things for this football club, and you people are saying to kick him out the door. It, it's just a joke. And firing Coach Martins, Martins doesn't do it in Europe. Again, I we've said it a few times, but I just want to hammer this point into, into these thick skulls. Where was Olympiacos four years ago? What did Coach Martins inherit? I, I don't think you people understand. We had four coaches in one year. And Coach Martins got rid of 26 players. 
26 players. What did we have as Olympiacos? And now we think we should be beating Arsenal, a team, I'm sorry, but Aubameyang's contract is probably bigger than maybe our whole starting 11 tonight. I, I'm sorry. What, I don't know what people expect from us when we don't have healthy central defenders. This is a young project as well. We, we, I don't know. I, I, I'm sorry I'm going on like this, but I, it's just frustrating to read because these players have given us some of the best moments as Olympiacos fans, the best football we've seen in years, and we're going to turn on them now? I'm not having it, to be honest with you guys. I'm not having it. And I'm sorry if people are upset about this, but you're idiots you're, or, or you're not Olympiacos fans. That, that's it. We have lived fantastic moments, big derbies, big European nights. And you're going to tell me Coach Martins has to go? Jose Sa? Jose Sa carried us to some wins in Europe. Has to go? Matthew Valbuena and Yusef El Arabi. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just not having it tonight. I, I'm sick of it. I'm, I'm really sick of it. And it's surprising coming from, from the English-speaking community. Usually it's the Greeks calling for people's head. It's not happening tonight because they follow Olympiacos and they know what Coach Martins has done. Guys, I know like I'm very upset and um, I agree with everything that Ambro just said. Uh, assuming, you know, and, and, you know, maybe I'll be wrong, but this team is set up to succeed next season. And I know that hurts to say, I know it hurts to have to like, you know, we did not have any expectation to beat Payas Bay before the winter transfer window. Like think three months ago, to get this far is a decent accomplishment. We wanted more. We beat Arsenal last year, so we felt like we could do it. The injuries were tough, and the goals were poor, and the set-piece issue is something we've been dealing with the entire time. I was upset after the second goal. I really did feel like the team, you know, they, they took a step back after that goal. But I still feel like next year, Socrates with, you know, more football under his belt, Lala with more football under his belt. Hopefully we don't lose any huge pieces. You know, we could probably afford to lose Semedo still and bring in someone to replace him. But, and obviously the, the qualifying rounds are going to stink as well, like having to play all those games just to get to the Champions League group stage. But look, this team next year, this team is set up to succeed next year with these transfers. These guys are in for next season, barring some crazy happening. And next year, we can see this team do big things. Keep an eye on the long view because that's what Pedro Martins is doing. We do not need to blow up the core and rebuild because the core of this team is very strong right now. I have to agree 100% with what Labra said. Um, I, I don't want to be mean either, but I have zero time for those people that are calling for Martins's head right now. I think it's utterly ridiculous. I don't even want to expand on it anymore. I think Labro said everything that needed to be said. Uh, I, I want to bring Michael into the conversation. Um, sorry, you have to listen to us rant after a defeat. It's very gracious of you to come on. Um, what for you were the key kind of turning points? during today's game or like key moments i'd say well obviously the easiest answer is the goals obviously um but our first goal the odegaard one came after that spell of dominance really when we actually started to let you back in a bit more i think in terms of so that that would obviously be the main one because it, it helped us going but it was very much a continuation of what had started 
in that respect, just a little bit later than it should have been. But then maybe the tide switched a little. We were very poor after the, after the half. Um, God, the American expressions are creep, creeping in here. Um, but we were very poor after halftime. And that's probably started with that Luis error, which should have resulted in a goal for Olympiacos just before halftime. And that's the moment, again, the moment we've seen a thousand times, as I've seen before, where we switch off, the team just don't see out. And that's one of our most experienced players as well. Um, and so that sort of set the tone for Olympiacos, I guess, to think, you know, we can we can come back, we can get a goal here. You did, you started to press us better. And honestly, it was, we were the better side for the most of it, but Olympiacos had their chances. They were keeping us at bay. We weren't making stuff really. We just had the ball, we were trying, sort of moving it from side to side and not putting it in the box occasionally, but not really making proper opportunities. So honestly, so then from there, after obviously Olympiacos' goal, the run of play was about the same until we got a bit lucky from a set piece. And it was a great header from Gabriel. I actually think the cross from William was over here, but then I also really don't like William. So I'm, I'm just not being generous to him. Um, and that was the point. It just seemed, maybe it was the point of the game. Maybe it was just the nature of the tie, it being our second away goal. But it did just, it hit you guys. And that it just, that seemed to be the point where we, we moved to easy street almost, even though it was only 2-1. And so you, I think the, the third goal... I suppose we'll see in terms of the next leg how moot it was, but it definitely means both clubs are going to have a radically different approach to the game they would have done had it just been 2-1. Yeah, I mean, for for me, there are three three key moments or three turning points to this to this fixture. The first one is even before the teams have started kicking a ball uh, with, uh, with the fact that we had to withdraw Usainu Bar from the starting eleven. And you could see that the first 35 minutes of the first half, nobody knew where, where, you know, where they were, where they were playing. Uh, the team didn't have any shape, and it just goes to show how important a piece Jan and Villa is in our team. Uh, I expected us to play quite deep in, I mean, throughout the game and try and keep it tight, and uh, try keep the midfield compact, and. No, the fact that we had to bring Jan and Villa all the way back to centre back, it, we had a, a, a huge like gaping hole in the midfield between the centre backs and the two centre midfielders, and I don't think that you know for for at least the standards that I hold, Bukalagis and Kamaratu for me they never turned up to today's game, um, not good enough. Uh, um, but but there is the kind of you know, I, I can give them some uh, some sympathy because just it was a, a complete makeshift team. It's the first time Jan and Villas had to play next to Socrates. Um, and that really put us off balance. And you could see that they weren't comfortable. And uh, Arsenal is a team that likes to play good football in possession. Uh, the interplay was was quite neat from Arsenal and you know I, I feared the worst the first 10 minutes the first five minutes of the game it could have been 2-0 uh, Odegaard scuffed a, a chance in the third minute and then there was a header from from Aubameyang which was saved a brilliant save by by Saar actually um, so yeah we've already gone into the game with a disadvantage and then the second moment for me is after we'd equalised and we had that play down the right-hand side with Fortunis and Radjelovic getting on the ball in the box with the cutback to El Arabi 
who nine times out of 10 puts the ball in the back of the net. And actually the ball was on target, but I think it was Gabriel that got down to block it. And then at that point, we would have been 2-1 up and it's a different game. And um, I think that's the second turning point. And then, of course, yeah, you're right. The, the, the third is the second goal. Um, I think I said, I said off the air, I think if we'd have scored that goal, 100% it's ruled out. Looking at it, Looking at it a couple of times more, it looks like Gabriel's made a good jump above MV and he heads the ball and then he crashes into him. Um, but what really pisses me off is that I'm almost 100% certain that if we'd have scored that goal, it would have been ruled out. And I did get a sense throughout the entire game that the ref was playing Arsenal 60 70%. And in a home game, you expect at least like like a 50-50. Okay, like Arsenal's a bigger team, but but I thought, you know, really, do, do Arsenal need help from the ref? It's like, come on. Uh, so I was very, very annoyed at that. And then the third goal, I think I've used this expression before, but uh, El, El Neni, he had time to sip his coffee and light a cigarette and smoke it until he could shoot the ball. Um, and I think, I think somebody mentioned it, but normally, yeah, the Yanin V is there stopping that. And today there was no one there and he just, just felt like he got the ball in midfield. He walked up and he, you know, put the ball in a nice position and he, he smacked it with, put some nice top spin on it and the keeper could, could do very little about it. And it was three, one. And sadly after two, one, I, I just had a feeling it's like, yeah, the third one's coming now and it's game over. Um, so I think those, those for me are the moments during the game. Yeah. And the thing about the Gabriel goal, I can see how it stands. And, but one thing I, I feel is, yeah, he crashed into him afterwards. I feel like if that happens at the center line, like it, it's a goal kick and up and he makes that tackle. I feel like that's a yellow card and a foul, you know, the follow through. But since it was a goal, it wouldn't be a foul. You know, if I felt like if that was just in the regular run of play, it would have been been a foul. Um, and yeah, I, I really have... I, I, I think he, he, he's kind of gotten away without much criticism and maybe you guys wouldn't have brought him up, but Bruma is not it for me, guys. I think it's, it's Bruma is not worth the six and a half million euros. And I really don't have the appetite to see him pass this season. I'm, and Mari Nakis needs to, needs to pay for a big winger, I think, because this is where we're getting, I'm not going to swear, this is where we're getting screwed. Because the wingers we've had for how many years are not good enough. We've had Podense was fantastic. And sometimes in those European games, those dribbles and those moves and those plays got us out of trouble because he was just so brilliant. But the Brumas of the world, the Rangelovic, who had a decent game today. I'm not going to slander Rangelovic today, guys. He did decent. But these guys aren't going to take us past the next level because they just couldn't get past Hector Bayerin, who... Michael can probably describe even more as a mediocre defensive fullback. Tierney is Tierney's fantastic, but Bayerin is, is well, nothing well, special. Well, 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 well. <laughs> you Honestly, can jump in. Bayerin's fine defensively. Um, he, really? The only, the only player who really takes him for like every time is Leroy Sane. Um, Interesting. But he's, normally he's fine. I, I think a lot of our fans do overplay it. Um, it's my his attacking annoys me quite a bit more, but it, this really? last let's say couple of months, he's clearly been overplayed. He, he was the best tonight he's been in absolutely aging, it's because he's had a week off, yeah. and yeah, he's, he's just 
post ACL about ACL was two years ago, but yeah, it's it, having a having a player who has to play every game when you're in the Europa League as well as you guys know. It's yeah. you could see the toll it was taking on him, and I think we saw. You, well, you guys, I don't know if you've seen much of Bakayo Saka otherwise, but he's fantastic. He's brilliant, but he didn't exactly light it up this evening, and he looked the same tonight as he did on Saturday. Well, he just needs a couple of games. He needs a week to to relax. Um, but we're not good enough that we can give him that time. And I, I mean, I think his backup, which I guess is somehow Nicolas Pepe, who costs 72 million, but he's good enough where Behrens is Cedric, who we only signed because his agent is mates with our ex-CEO. So he's not, he doesn't, he hasn't had quite had that room to just, you know, look like himself again. But I, I do see why you would, why someone would have that impression of him. But I always feel this, this need to defend him because he is a much better player and defensive player than people give him credit for. You know, um, I feel like, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit cautious in saying this, but um, besides the header at the beginning, we didn't see a whole lot from Aubameyang today. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Yeah. I think Kenny did. Lala did an okay job. He had some points where he lost him. Like on the header, um, Kenny could have been there. I thought Kenny Lala had a decent game today, uh, personally, especially uh, in defense. But and Socrates Peter, also. And I can think. I jump in right there? Effing Bruma doesn't have a clue how to position himself. He has <laughs> no idea how to position himself defensively because there were, I, I think it was just tyranny. How many crosses did he get in that first 15 minutes? And Bruma is just floating up the field. This guy is not good enough. I'm sorry. I, he, Masuras, as, as, as poor as he is in the final third, knows where to position himself and knows where to track back. And Bruma just does not have that. And he's not good enough going forward to do that kind of, that kind of shit, in my, in my opinion. I'm just, I'm tired of it, man. Like, he shows up once every four games. And I, I can see why Paisve fans hated him. So I, I just want him gone. Um, I remember Bruma quite a bit um, just because I was watching Germany quite a lot when he was at Leipzig. And normally, and he started actually really well. Normally with Leipzig, they their scouting department doesn't really miss. But at the same time, when it does, and Leipzig turn, turn their back on a player, especially if they do it quite quickly, go nowhere near him. Because um, they, they develop, they pick players really, tend to pick players really well, they develop them really well. But if they don't think they can get much out of them, they'll they'll go quick. And I think Broom's career since since leaving Leipzig is probably quite indicative of the fact that you know when they do miss, they don't then miss again, as it were. Um, which is a sh- shame because I remember when he first started there, they looked like a really promising player. I've seen some of the goals he scored for Portugal, maybe the under twenty ones. Um, crazy left foot, but it, in that sense, he reminds me a bit of um, a guy called Oli Burke, who um, also signed for Leipzig. Um, not as a player, just more in the sense of he went to Leipzig. Leipzig tried to get the best out of him, realized they couldn't do it, and just bombed him straight back out because he wasn't smart enough to get what they wanted him to do. And from the bits I've seen of Bruma, I can see why the same trajectory would have taken place. That's a really interesting comment. Um, I mean, he had that chance in the first half where I think every time we pressed Arsenal, I think there were there were there were three moments in the game. There was the goal where <laughs> Thomas Partey gets bought off for Ceballos, and immediately I thought, "Ah, oh, yes, Arteta, great change, lovely. Thank you for bringing Ceballos on." 
Yeah. And yeah, lo and behold, five minutes later, El Arabi steals the ball and then has a shot and you know, make, gets the equaliser. And then there was, I think it was a sloppy back pass from, from David Luiz that let in uh, Masuras, who decides it's a great idea to shoot from that angle when El Arabi's free right next to him in front of goal. And then there's the other one with, uh, with Bruma. I think it was the first chance where we pressed you high up one, the yeah. field. He pressed high up the field again. There's a mistake. And then El Arabi's open again and onside to his left in a better position. And he goes and has a shit shot, like straight at the keeper. It was um, a waste. It was a waste. Speaking of, coming back to you just quickly on the turning points thing you mentioned earlier, um, I'd forgotten about that chance where you really should have made it 2-1. And at that point, I admit, I texted an Arsenal mate of mine saying things that I will not repeat but about about the state of our team but that was a massive moment and yeah, yeah it's, it's just as a side note from Bruno but that could easily have, have swung the whole thing because we were on the back foot at that point just after the goal yeah yeah and no, it's, the, the, the it's momentum but it's those are the well, it's the, the problem we're having just to bring back to the Arsenal for a second is that too many of our games are decided on the fine margins and that was one where it went in our favour but recently yeah. it's you know we didn't get a penalty on the weekend that Pepper hit the um, hit the post, hit the guy's shoulder, whatever, and that's our problem. Is that it is on the fine margins, but when it when it goes in your favour, it's it's great. But yeah, that's that's another example of how we got lucky this time because yeah, that really should have been two one. I'm quite surprised it wasn't. I, I think you you you're absolutely right. And at, at that point, at, after one one, it's really the first time you know the momentum swung in our favour, and we. I think we were controlling the pace of the game and we looked more comfortable on the ball and, and confident, you know, playing above the halfway line and the game started to open up and we were finding more spaces and moving the ball from, from one side to the other and, you know, creating dangerous opportunities. And uh, yeah, we didn't, we didn't take that one. It was a good block. I don't know who blocked it. I think it was Gabriel, but yeah. Um, at first, at first, I thought, "How has El Arabi missed the target from there? He never misses the target." And there was, and I mean, the guy gave a corner, but, but yeah, uh, I think that's a that's a massive, massive moment in the game today. I have a question, Michael, just sort of out of curiosity for myself, has nothing to do with Olympiacos, but because um, the British announcers were prattling on about uh, about it today, like when Louise made that mistake, um, like what do you think of of it seems like Arteta really pushes the players to play out of the back when like they don't really seem equipped to do so. Like David Luiz, like he's good with the ball in some sense, but he also does a lot of dumb things. And like Leno also is not bad with the ball, but like they always play it out the back. Like I was just wondering, like it almost seems like he wants to run a tactic that he just doesn't have the players for in some sense. Like, I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, it's it's been worse recently, and I'm not entirely sure why. I think maybe teams are just pressing us more effectively. But so you've got a goalkeeper who's not great with his feet. I think Luis, you've got a weird thing where he's better on the left hand side, and I think he's a great ball player. There was a point earlier in the season that we don't like to talk about where he, I think he might actually have been our most creative player, but which is was it was a very very bad time for us. We got one win in ten, but yeah, he's um like so. I think being on the right, he becomes that bit easier to press. And then you've got Gabriel, who's not great on the ball. You've got, so 
Hector and Tierney, good players, but you know they're not really the ones getting in there. Shaka is, a, again, good on the ball, but he needs an extra touch. He will make a mistake every now and then, as we saw on the weekend. Can't really be relied on. And until you've got a lot of players more like Party, who can take the ball on the turn, do things much more with one touch, it's not going to be foolproof. It's not going to always see us out the way that he wants it to. But I see why he wants... He, I think there's, yeah, I see why he wants to institute it and he wants it to carry on. So when, well, when you've got a player who, like Gabriel, next to someone who is better on the ball, and I can't really identify any of our other centre backs for that, but the he's more used to just finding the option, us playing our way out and not panicking and hoofing it. But sometimes you do just have to just kick it out to touch. And that's what cost us a goal on the weekend. That's probably what's what almost cost us a goal today. Well, well, I'd say I wouldn't say it cost us the goal today because the one that you did score, he should Leno just should have straight passed out to Luge. But it's it's I'd say that you're right. The players there aren't the best equipped to do it. But I can understand that he thinks the risk is worth the eventual reward because he's also working with a weirdly clean slate in the way that he's just kind of got he's kind of got free reign to fail for a little while. Like he can like we can go out probably in the next game against you lot and then finish ninth in the league, and he'll still have a job at least until midway through next year, which is a remarkably privileged position for a manager. And But he, fair play to him, he's trying to institute what he really wants out of the team. Just, he, he's got to hope that it doesn't bite him before it starts to see the proper dividends. We talked to a lot of Arsenal fans in the build-up to the game, and, you know, I did I did get a sense from a lot of, maybe slight majority of Arsenal fans that they're not really convinced that he's the right man for the job. Um, some weird decisions. Like, I, I expected Cedric to start right back today. Um, I was quite surprised to see to see Bellerin. I think Bellerin, after his injury, really hasn't been the same kind of player. He looks all... I, I, but actually, I thought he had a decent game today. Like, he created overlaps and... You know, he was he was running up and down the wing, but I was surprised to see him. Then Willian, I know, is kind of a, a yeah, not really. You know, Arsenal fans aren't really hot about him, and uh, and then the decision to take Partey off and bring uh, bring Ceballos on was weird. And I don't know. Uh, I, I want to ask you about Socrates, like your your take on the whole situation, because um, okay, I'm. I'm born in the UK, brought up in London. I'm not an Arsenal fan, but because Socrates was there, I, w- I was following like with with interest. You know, like all all Greek players that play abroad, like particularly in the Premier League, we we like to watch them. And and I really wonder, mate, like how do you feel about the way he was treated? And do you really think that he didn't deserve a chance in your team? Because yes, he's not. The type of player that he that's going to bring the ball out of defence, and he can't play that style of you know, play that, that that Arteta wants. But but normally, if you're you're building a, a central defensive pairing, you want one player that can play the ball forwards, and you want a no nonsense defender. And I'm sorry, but how do you keep Mustafi in your squad? How do you keep Mustafi in your squad? And then so, you, you take a player like Socrates, who's played for Milan. Played for Dortmund, to play for big clubs, won, won, won trophies, and you keep Mustafi. So there was, I think that the answer with with the particular question of Mustafi was that he was a better ball player, and 
right or wrong on the, on the defensive side of things. He's, Mustafi's not a great ball player. I'm not saying he's, he's great. He's just better than Socrates. Um, or Socrates, I should say. Um, so, yeah, I think that was, that was most of the rationale there. And uh, Mustafi was able to play the long diagonals in the back three, which is part of what made him a, more of a staple in post-lockdown last year. But as for... I don't know about in terms of the way he was treated because he was he to, he to came kill him from the squad to like not even put him in the it squad. Was, it was terrible squad management in the way that there should never have been a situation where you've got twenty seven players and you need to exclude two senior ones from the squad. And that I mean that's that's the big evil then. So someone it would have if it hadn't been Socrates Socrates it would have been Mustafi. In in the same way you're asking someone else is asking the same question of like how how have you let this happen. Um. As, so in terms of how he did at Arsenal, he was he was broadly fine. Like he, he was, I was never in favour of the signing because he was old, because he was twenty million, and because it was always going to end the way it did in the way that you try and move on from a player on big wages, you're just going to have to ice them out of the squad, and you end up stuck with their contract and having well, in this case, having to pay it up. I thought we'd end up having to see it up to the season. Um, so you, it's 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 a mixed bag in that respect. So the Mustafi element complicates a lot of it because he's he's useless dickhead but now and now he's at Schalke as well so I still have to bloody watch him every week um yeah I I really thought I'd be free and and then turns out I wasn't um (laughs) it's that I think the real the real evil when it came to soccer was um was the squad management and the fact that the board weren't good enough at shifting players the error again was signing him in the first place but then you've got to make the most of what you had I I remember once talking with a friend about Socrates. I think it was midway through maybe a second season saying that he should be very grateful that Mustafi exists because it means a lot of the heat for the things that he does just gets taken off him. And <laughs> he did make mistakes. He did. He wasn't great. Like he was fine. I'd say that he was a five to six out of 10 signing for us, which is, you know, it, it could be worse. It's not exactly like a, a two or three that Mustafi was. Um, but it the error was signing him and the bigger error well not the bigger error, the error that then came from that was managing your squad so poorly that we had i think nine center halves on the books at one point and that was going into the season so you you end up having to to ice it ice him out and it wasn't i wouldn't i don't know how fair it was to him but he did have chances to leave in the summer and he was on a generous wedge and he chose to be on that for half a season and i, I- I, I kind of want to jump in and maybe Socrates didn't have the best time. But again, Ar- Arsenal built a team of Danny Ceballos and Jaka as the midfield and Kolasinac at left-sided fullback. Like, I, I'm sorry, man. You could, <laughs> you could have yeah, Virgil van Dijk next to those guys. There's only so technical players you can handle. <laughs> yeah, I, so but. it's just, I, I literally think, and then you sometimes have Ozil at the 10 who, like that, I I I remember when we were preview, previewing this game, people asked, "What's the biggest difference from last season?" And I said right away, "You have Odegaard and you have Partey in that midfield three. When you have Ozil, Sabios, and Xhaka in the midfield three, no one is running there. Like there is no running whatsoever. And that 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 has always been the biggest problem for Arsenal recently. And I, I think that's why the Partey signing was so big. Emil Smith Rowe coming out has become big. That's why I was not optimistic going into this game whatsoever." Because I, I just thought the midfield is so much better and we're, we were going to struggle. Um, and, and in the same vein, it's, it's telling that you got your opportunities once it was Ceballos 
and not exactly that role exactly and you know, I, I like Shaka more than most people. I'm not very much not blind to his flaws because um, he has l- fucking loads of them. So, sorry, am I not allowed to swear? <laughs> no, don't worry. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but he, he does. But then if you're going to play Shaka, you need someone next to him who's going to, who's one has the legs that he doesn't and can mop up technically in the way that he can't. And Ceballos can kind of do the technical side, but he absolutely cannot do the running. And you, And he also, he flaps under pressure. In, and I mean, not physical pressure of a player running towards him. He's very good at that, but the pressure of an occasion, and he's not great. So, yeah, that um, yeah, I think I think it's pretty fair analysis from your side in terms of is a not not a regular watch. You picked up on most of our issues quite well against yeah. the Benfica game. He had a howler as well, if I recall correctly. <laughs> when he came back and missed that header, Jeez. yeah. Anyway, you made he just, it so. He's, yeah. I've I've seen it referred to on Twitter, but he's got. What what people started calling the bozo gene, <laughs> and that's and Shaka very much has it. Too much of our squad has it. Just the the moment that they will find a way to let you down out of absolutely nowhere, and yeah. So I'm I'm really hopeful we won't see Ceballos again next summer. But this club has done stupider things. So yeah, it it's an interesting club, Arsenal. I I'll, I'll give you guys that. Um, Never bought. Exhausting yeah, and painful, never, boring, never yeah. dull. And I guess uh, I, I'll kind of shift this back to Oli Belkos to, to get kind of more focus on us. Tonight was a bad night for Oleg Rehabchuk, and I really thought this would be a big one for him coming out for Jose Holebas. It was kind of shocking when it happened, but it made complete sense after a few minutes. Holebas just staying back defensively. It made It made sense, but just... I guess a disappointing night for Oleg, you know, he, and I, I think it was a bit of reality check. This kid is still raw. I think we've all been excited with him. His performances against Pace Vane and the league have been really good, but it's kind of a reality check. Like, okay, it's still going to be a work in progress. It took a few years for, for Chimikas to develop into what he was there at the end. Um, I, I, I thought he did struggle. I, I, I think we, we need to say that, but again, I, I, it's difficult for me to blame him when he was next to Jan and Via. You know, it's really difficult. I don't know. What What do you guys think? I, I, I was a bit disappointed tonight with Oleg. I mean, he's certainly not to blame for the result. Um, no, 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 not, no, not great, at all. But, not at all. I'm just trying to um, list out, hash out. No, yeah, I mean, I think, I think he struggled with Sokka a bit as well. Um, and I know, like we said, Sokka, like, and I know Michael, you said this about the the Burnley game as well. Like he's not been in in top form. Like I've seen games when he's played incredible, incredible football, especially for someone his age. Like he's a top prospect. But I think he gave Oleg a little bit of trouble. Um, there was the one play when Oleg just needlessly fouled Saka. He was sort of recovering back and catching up to him, and just was too physical and ran him over basically. Um, yeah, I, I'm not concerned with it really. Um, long term, this performance will probably make him better in the long run. It's probably something he'll remember. But yeah, I mean, the result, it's not like there were a whole lot of bright spots anyway today. So yeah, um, I'll, I'll say from, from the, uh, that side, Saka, I don't think was at his best, but the positions he takes up are so smart. The ability he has, the, even off form, he can. Can find the right pass. He'll just he'll not make you and find a load of space. He was. I mean, he played a bit. If this is your, uh, I'm trying to think what's your left back. 
who was on Saka. Like he was um like you could tell that he was worried about well marking what the guy's probably our best player. Um and he he didn't know whether to step up. He fouled it. Well, Saka got fouled a lot. I'm not sure if it was always him. And it's, it wasn't you know, always fair. Oleg, but yeah, he got fouled a lot. But yeah, he's and that was clearly part of the game plan as well, is that this guy gets within 35 yards, you kick him. Um so it's 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 fair as well. Like even if Saka's not at his very best, him and the combinations he can make with Baron down the line, which they've always combined quite well, is well always recently. Um that that is it's understandable why that would throw a fullback a bit, especially especially one who's got the centre back next to him just who isn't one isn't a centre back and two he isn't used to. I do want to react to that point on on Oleg a little bit because I think he I think like from a pace perspective, you could see that there wasn't a lot of difference. Like we know Oleg's fast. Uh I thought he kept up with with Saka quite well. But I think what you know, I, I agree with Labrador. I think we've said it before, he's still very raw. Uh and I think what he found difficult today was the element of having a player like Saka that likes to cut inside. Normally we've seen Oleg come up against players like right-footed playing on the right-hand side hasn't come up against a player like Saka. And I said it it's before really the game. This is, this is a, this was a key matchup in the game. How Oleg's going to get on in a game like this against an opponent like Saka, who's from, from what I've been reading and from what I've heard from Arsenal fans building up to this game, he's the, you know, he's the element of surprise. He's the one that's going to make things happen. So it is, it is what it is. And I, I want to touch on one other thing, Labro, that you said earlier on, like when we were getting started, the team is in a kind of transition because last year, I think we peaked under Martins. It was his second year with a team that didn't lose any centerpieces. It was the same team as his first season with additional pieces in it. And losing Timikas, who went to Liverpool, losing Omar, that went to Galatasaray, losing Guillerme, who went for the petrol dollars in Saudi Arabia, those were three huge players for us. And Oleg and Lala, they just joined us in January. Oleg's transitioned into the team seamlessly I would say but let's be real he's been at the club for two months he's had no pre-season barely probably knows the names of all the people in the uh, surrounding the club and Lala Lala came last day of the transfer window so let's be a little bit real here in terms of what you know what are we talking about Martins has got another year on his contract um he start. It, it is a little bit of a different team, but I agree with what you said right at the beginning that we're in we're in transition this year. And a lot of people were talking shit about like this team needs a new strong core. To me, the core is there, man. Lala Oleg, the the center back pairing. Whoever stays is is good. And let's be real here, Marios Rusai got injured but he's a fantastic player he's going to be here for a while Panasi Sandrutos has become a player in this in this team Fortunis is still here I I I Mvia is here Buchalakis is here Olipelkos has a strong core I think we can say that there may be needs for a few more bams as we like to say but 
it is there for this team to rebuild and get to the level of last year. And I know it hurts right now to hear that, everyone. But Olympiacos is going to be back next year to that level last from last year. Next year, I should say. And I just want to reiterate that. You, you guys may be upset tonight. We are upset tonight. But it's not over for for this project. We're gonna we're we're gonna come back. Michael, were there any players that stuck out for you? I mean, I know, yeah, it wasn't really a top performance from our side, but were there any players that kind of stuck out for you? I think I had my eye on I had my eye on El Arabi anyway, just because I knew the name. Um, and so the ones I was I was specifically looking out for. The problem is that I didn't know their names. So I can generally go by position. Um, but. So, um, Socrates, obviously, I was looking out for, see how he's doing. And, you know, he, look, he looked up for it. I'll give him that much. And Villa was interesting because we were, we were linked with him so much for so many years. And to the extent what I was convinced he'd score, <laughs> just because that's just how these things work. Um, I mean, so I was, I've been thinking, so I've had the highlights on actually here. They just, they flipped up while you were talking. Um, and so I was having a look over a couple of the, the bits and a bit that's actually, to be fair to your um your left back was that Oleg. Um, he's so another thing that makes life very difficult is that Baron likes to underlap as well. He likes to get into that space yeah. between the centre half and the um and the left back. And if and it, jumping in with sort of the insecurity between the two players, the fact that he's inexperienced, as you said, like it makes a lot of sense that having to deal with our best player and a Baron who's been the best he's been in weeks would rattle him and have him a bit off. It's just entirely logical logical like it's it's fair to him um and i mean there was one player i remember from the last game i think it was the guy who scored your equalizer last year um who i was looking was, who i wanted to look out for but he wasn't playing was he so cisse is he's on loan he's with saint etienne when we brought in ah. socrates uh he was the one to go uh, as i was quite i was remember just being impressed by him last year he's a goal I'm, threat from center back he's he's i, I don't want to face him again and then we didn't have to yeah yeah, I know you were lucky. No, I'm just kidding. But you know. I know it's not it's not the answer you were hoping for. But I was too the the Arsenal made me so nervous anyway. <laughs> I don't really have time to focus on who's causing threat from the other side. The other side. Well, actually, I mean, he's been linked with moves to to England. He's which we, we signed we we signed him uh, Cisse, the the guy yes. that scored the equaliser last yeah. year. So he he came as a raw talent, this like tall, skinny African kid that came from the second division of France for like 500,000 euro or something. And now, yeah, it's just one of those things where Socrates came in and I think Cissé's manager, his his agent had something lined up, you know, and uh, he's gone to Saint-Étienne and he has a 13 million uh, minimum fee uh, option. I, I don't think they're going to, pay it uh and uh he recently said he wants to come back but uh yeah i know there's a lot of a lot of olympiacos fans that are saying that we shouldn't have given him and uh it was poor poor management decision it was his agent there was nothing they could have done yeah his exactly agent it was and already wanna, lined up and i want to give a shout out to gazeta Telia gr um they had a fantastic interview with cisse i just didn't, i really enjoyed reading that and he's just he's a top guy and honestly i'd be happy to have him back as well um if he does go, the best wishes to him, of course. But that was a great interview if, if you guys are looking to brighten up your morning tomorrow. Well, I guess uh, we should start wrapping up. It's been about an hour. Michael, we don't want to take too much of your time. But, you know, we're going to ask one last question. We sort of brought this up at the beginning. I'll, I'll ask it to everyone. 
uh, but on both sides. Is this tie over? Can it be saved? Michael, I'll start with you. I know maybe you're a bit nervous, but uh, what are your thoughts? It can be saved, but not if we do our jobs vaguely competently. I think that's a good way of putting it. I I don't see a way back, um, really, guys. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I don't see a way back, but I, let's see if we can do it. I, I don't know. I don't see it, but let's screw it. Who cares? The chances are very slim, but if it, you know, if there's a 2% chance we can do it, it will take any chance that we have. And I think that at least all the, the best thing I can hope for is that we go, we go to the Emirates with a full, full strength team next week and two healthy center backs and yeah, healthy first team players. And that's the best that I can hope for. And I just want them to go out there and play without fear. I don't think they have anything to lose. And, you know, from the very beginning, uh, discussing the game before the kickoff, I don't think anybody would kind of give us stick for getting knocked out by Arsenal. I think it's the the contrary for Arsenal. For Arsenal, I think these two games uh, sandwiched in between, you know, with um, with Spurs on the weekends. I think these three games are absolutely massive for for Arteta at Arsenal. Uh, and I could, you know, you could definitely read the headlines on the back pages in 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 the UK if if Arsenal were to go out and probably you know, Arteta's heads on the line if 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 something like that were to happen. But yeah, man, I think we're going to go into that game next week with nothing to lose. Uh, and yeah, I just hope we go, like I said, with, with a full strength team and I, yeah, do the best that we can. It's not over. Well, we got to try, that's for sure. And, you know, next weekend or next week, I should say, let's see Fortunis out there. You know, we'll just, we got to get three goals on the board any way you slice it. So get Fortunis on the pitch for 90 minutes, get Ba in a massage chair, just leave him there for a week and uh, hopefully his back issues, you know, go away. Um, but guys, I mean, it's, it's looking like our, our European run is over. And I mean, for Olympiacos this year, like these are the last meaningful games we have to play this season. Like, let's be honest, it, it kind of, assuming we go out like it it just it feels very um unfortunate in that sense like we have 11 more games in the league that we basically won already we have two more ties in the cup which are two legs each that we barely care about the cup because the greek football federation just just doesn't know how to organize a cup this year and it's just like a waste of time nobody cares about it so it just kind of sucks for that reason like the season's coming down to the wire uh, I'd certainly love to see us do the unthinkable and go through, but yeah, it's been, it's been a fun season while, while it lasted, but I mean, these are the last meaningful games that we'll see for Olympiacos this year, most likely here, which is kind of a sad thought. No, for sure, Peter. And I, I, I was going to say this earlier, but I, I think it's a good time now. These lockdowns have been really hard, you know, and for our Greek listeners as well, it's been, it's been really difficult being home and Olympiacos this season has walked the league. It, it really hasn't been that great to watch. That Pauk win a few weeks back was brilliant. And these European games have just given us something to talk about, something to get excited about, you know. And this idea that this European dream is kind of ending is a difficult pill to swallow. I know you guys, some of you guys are in difficult lockdowns and this has been kind of a distraction. And like, I know this is tough. This is almost like losing something 
uh, for us in this lockdown. And I, I don't want to get too touchy on it, but I know we know it's tough. And, you know, we promise you here at Gates of an International, we're going to bring more content for you guys. If if European football is in it, we're going to bring you interviews. We're going to keep bringing players on. We're going to bring journalists on. And we're just going to we're going to keep going to get over this lockdown, guys, all together. The, the European season may be over, which is difficult. We were all hyped of it. We were excited with it. And there's not much left with this season. Let's be honest. Peter hit it the nail on the head. But, like, we're in this all together, guys. And we're going to try and brighten the mood with interviews, with players, with staff, with anyone we can do. And let's get through this all together. Let's get to the summer. And, you know, and let's, let's go again in the summer, guys, in this European draw. Well said, Lamro. Uh, as we begin to finish off the episode here, Michael, I just want to say thank you very much. I know some of the stuff we talked about was just upset Olympiacos fans and you were just kind of sitting there enjoying the the conversation, but um, it was really yeah, nice I'm chatting to you about the game. And It's, uh, it's been a pleasure to be here. Thanks and, for having me. And uh, before we let you go, I, I do want to give you the opportunity to let the listeners know where they can follow you on social media. Um, you know, My main thing is my Twitter. It's at Michael Kashani, K-E-S-H-A-N-I. Um, I'm mostly just talking nonsense about the Arsenal. So if you're not interested in that, there's no need. <laughs> and Schalke a little bit as well. Is that, is that a correct? Bit, a little bit of Schalke. It's Schalke very much this season. It's, um, I, I would say that I've given up. I just wish Rafinha was there so we could talk shit about Wait, Rafinha. Michael, one, me up. <laughs> one thing, because uh, two of us are Americans here. Matthew Hopp, what are your thoughts? I'm hearing good things. He, he's got something. And like an idiot, he's tied himself to Schalke for a few more years. Um, so next season in the second league, I think I don't think he's quite ready week in, week out for Bundesliga level yet, but there's clearly something there to work with. So I don't know how good he can be. I'd need to have watched him more, to be honest. But he pick, he, he can time a run and he's got a he can finish on both feet as well. And he, he's got that kind of nous about him. So hopefully a year in the second division will really get him get him firing on a consistent level and then you guys really have something to work with well yeah i just know he banged in that hat trick in the game that uh you guys won and, and so yeah. anyway and he scored a few goals he's he's got a bit of a poacher's instinct but yeah I've, 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 I've not been watching sharper enough since the turn of the year not yeah i i understand <laughs> wouldn't want to put yourself through too much of that anyway yeah, um not bad enough <laughs> well michael thank you so much uh you you've brightened our mood a little bit and uh you know we hope things are continue to go well for you and uh, assuming arsenal knock us out um best of mm -hmm. luck with the rest of the campaign i know europa league is the big focus for you guys right now um what a depressing sentence that is <laughs> hey it's it, you could win a trophy this year like it could be worse could, be, uh, could be tottenham because you know they're going out anyway um uh, thank you all for listening, especially if you've made it this far. Um, sorry, it's a bit of a depressing one, folks. But um, as Lambro said, we're going to continue to put out exciting content, even if the European dream ends. And we'll continue to get exciting stuff out there, even when the summer comes. Um, to think that it's even more depressing, we do have Ethniki coming up as well, uh, which, I mean, Olympiacos losing 3-1 to Arsenal just pales in comparison to Greece losing 8-0 to Spain. But, you know, we'll cover those games as well. Um, follow us on social media at gate7intl leave a review watch us on youtube shout out to everyone watching on youtube now leave a like and subscribe or leave a comment you know all sorts of things are good uh, in that sense and uh, yeah 
we'll be back on Monday. Um, try to try to get some, you know, get some fresh air, everybody, and uh, hopefully keep your heads up. And uh, we'll see you very soon.